gern. I hope you enjoyed singing to God this morning. We are continuing our study. In John 17. So if you'll turn there, John 17, as we continue looking at Jesus' prayer for you and I, his prayer for all his disciples through history, and that we're, we're just gathering, as always, we're only gathering a tiny little sampling of the treasure that's there, and then hopefully um, expanding our enjoyment and delight in that treasure, and then hopefully going the next step and putting our heart and our mind in alignment so that we're praying with Jesus for ourselves and for each other. We're praying the very things for ourselves and each other that Jesus is praying. So that we're putting our hearts and our minds and our will in alignment with his. Uh, as part of the answer to his prayer. That we're in agreement with his prayer. And let's read these few verses together. Starting at verse 13. But now I come to you and, with, and these things I speak in the world. So that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. We're going to pause there. And so we, we've looked at that recognition that we're, we're not of this world. We're in a journey through this world and in this world, but we're, we don't belong to this universe. We don't belong to this kingdom. That you and I are growing the mindset, which is challenging because we have to put up with this world and deal with this world every day. That as we talked about last week, we're going beyond that to really recognize, I want to be a good steward of everything God has put in, put in my care while I'm in this world. But I want to keep remembering to hold back my identity from the things of this world. I hold back my security from the things of this world. And that my joy is in a safe and stable place that the world can't touch, that circumstances can't touch, that tragedy and sorrow or blessing and happiness, that none of those things make my joy or steal my joy. So we covered that last week, but I want to go into, if we, if we get through it, I want to go into two things that come out of this passage again. And one is where Jesus says, in verse 14, I have given them your word. And if you look back to verse 8, which word he looked at, he says, the words which you gave me, I've given to them. And then in verse 17, your word is truth. So here in the, in the prayer of Jesus, he's taking his word, the words he's spoken, but he's also using it in, in the singular. 
So he's saying, I spoke many words to my disciples. Those words, Father, those words came from you. But then then he's taking the totality of what he shared, and he's saying, this is the word. This package of truth that came from you, I've delivered to them, and it's true. And one of the things that that we get to recognize, and, and we will face it our entire life, is that there are a multitude of competing voices trying to take the place of the Word of God and to take place and to push out the truth of the Word of God and replace that with something else. That we are in a battle for truth every single day. And sometimes that battle is more obvious when we can tell we're battling a lie. But there are other times when the battle is not so obvious and the, and the enemy's hoping he can just sort of slide in a misconception that he can get away with a distortion, that he can make something a little less than God says it is or take something else and make it more than God says it is. The enemy's always looking for a distortion. And, and one of the things that's just for a moment is worth recognizing some of the sources of those distortions. The first one is obvious. The first source of that distortion is just our own flesh. The mindset of sin and self. And so the recognition, I cannot go to the flesh. I cannot go to the damaged thing. So scripture throughout, throughout from Genesis to Revelation, scripture sets up this dichotomy. And the dichotomy is not about our physical body. The flesh is not about our physical body. The flesh is about everything in my human experience that didn't flow from God. Everything I've learned that didn't flow from God. All my appetites and desires and urges not yet under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything my parents taught me that didn't quite accurately reflect the word and the truth of God. Everything in me that isn't from God is the flesh. Emotionally, spiritually, relationally, doctrinally, everything that did not come from God. And so the enemy is always hoping that we will listen to those distortions of the flesh and of sin. And and the antidote or the correction and the protection from that distortion again is the word of God. Now, another source of distortion Is culture and tradition. And sad to say, for us as believers, sometimes that even includes religious culture and church tradition. So I can remember a few moments. I wish I could remember a specific one right now, but I'm not. But I can remember moments in my life particularly as a child, as I was getting more and more into the Word on my own and then growing up and maturing, and especially after 17 when, when my walk with God was restored, and finding out some things I'd grown up with might not have been evil, might not have been bad, but they were human tradition. And so it was this expanding awareness that the Word of God is the only source of unbreakable truth. So... Uh, Well, actually, I do remember one. I thought it was evil to dance. And I have to be honest, and I'm serious. If you watched me dance, you would think it was evil too. (laughs) 
It's, it wouldn't be a pleasant sight, but that's, but that's not what I'm talking about. I thought it was evil. I thought only non-Christians would dance. And, and fortunately, I married a wife who loved to dance. And I could recognize dancing is not evil. I could go to places where dancing is putting me in the context of evil. I could dance in ways that reflect evil. But dancing is not evil. And once I learn that, then I see all kinds of things in Scripture about dancing. So you and I have to be careful that even if it's tradition, even if it's church tradition, even if it's the culture I grew up in, that I'm real careful to not put culture and tradition on the same level as Scripture. And that includes all kinds of things in our life that we recognize, Father, I want to keep pursuing and growing in holiness, but I don't want the artificial holiness of honoring a tradition as if it was your word. So we, we just get to be wise about that. Um, one thing that is really always a hard challenge is personal experience. Because the enemy would like to put personal experience at the same level as Scripture. So I have heard people that early in their life, they decided prayer's not worth it. Well, from their personal experience, they prayed for God to not let Grandpa die, and Grandpa died. And so without some correct balance from the Word of God of why is death not the terrifying, most horrible, hopeless thing we sometimes think it is? And why might God in love and grace and maybe even tenderheartedness toward Grandpa allow Grandpa to go? But out of that personal experience, they decided God doesn't answer prayer. Either He doesn't love me or He's a liar or, or this whole Word is not trustworthy. And so personal experience took authority over the Word of God. And that's a real blatant, clear example. But as believers, we struggle with a lot of tiny little moments when personal experience matters a little more than the Word of God. And so Jesus is saying, Father, your Word is truth, and I'm praying for my disciples that they grow up in comprehending that. So whether it comes out of sin and the flesh, whether it comes from culture and tradition, even church culture, or whether it comes out of their own personal experience, they keep submitting everything to the authority of your word because they agree with me as I pray for them. Your word is truth. Now, all of us as believers get to keep growing in this. But I want to I speak a moment to, to the young people in our congregation. Uh, is there anybody sitting here who's less than how old are you? Is there anybody here less than 10? Is there any here less than 10? Yes, I, I was expecting that hand to go up. <laughs> so I don't care whether you're, you're 7, whether you're 10, whether you're 16 or 19, that this is going to be a really important part of your future is that you're learning the Word of God. And part of it would be so that if, if one of these distortions arises, you already have the flavor of God's Word in your mind, and it doesn't taste right. And that you don't have to become a Bible scholar, but that you get to become someone who is so in love with the Word of God and so familiar with the leaning and the heart of God that you would say, this doesn't fit. 
And even if you're not sure that you would have been learning and learning and learning how to go to the Word of God and test and check and verify so that you could say, I'm not sure, so I'm going to go consult God. I'm not sure, so I'm going to go let God speak on His own behalf. So that somebody doesn't get away with fooling you and, and the enemy doesn't get away with distorting it because you don't check. Now, us old people have to keep doing that too. That we verify something. You hear something on the radio. You hear a TV preacher say something. Maybe it doesn't quite hang. Or maybe it sounds so good you hope it's true. Go check. Just go check. And if you're not sure how to check, go get the body of Christ involved and say, help me check this out. That none of us are lone rangers. We don't have to do our checking on our own. That we get to involve others. So this word is truth. And turn to John 6, 68. John chapter 6. A long chapter. And actually, let's start in 66. Right after Jesus has been saying some really hard things. You know, we just finished celebrating communion. We just finished celebrating the Lord's Supper. And, and Jesus was saying hard things. And he was saying things like, you have to be ready to drink my blood and eat my flesh if you're going to be my disciple. That had to sound crazy. I mean, let's be honest. That had to sound crazy. And then what mattered is, where's the listener's heart? Is the listener listening to the heart and the spirit and the mind of God so that they hear something deeper in that? Or they just hear something that sounds sort of gross and disgusting and they go, I'm out of here. And in verse 66, it says, as a result of this, many of the things he was saying were so difficult, his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Many of those disciples. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so here's Peter in one of his wonderful moments, getting the essence of the truth. You have words that open up for us the possibility of eternal life. And yes, they're hard. The, the, the 12, and obviously Judas betrayed Jesus, but even the, the 11 who remain faithful to Jesus frequently struggled with Jesus' words. Frequently struggled with Jesus' words. Lots of what he taught wasn't easy to absorb. Lots of what he taught even went against what they believed and went against what their traditions were and what their flesh told them. Lots of what he taught was a challenge for them. But Peter recognized this. Father, at the, at Jesus, at the core of everything you say is life for us. We want to be wise enough to stay where words of life are being taught. And I hope that all of you would have that same mindset and that I would have that same mindset that we frequently go to the Word of God even though we're already believers, if we are. Even if we're already believers, that we go, you know what? If I'm going to have nourishment in this new life, I need to go where words of life are being spoken. If I'm going to go stronger and wiser in this quality of eternal life, not just that I've got my walking papers for eternity, not just that I know I'm going, but that I'm maturing in what it's about to live eternal life with God. 
And I'm being changed right now to fit into that life. I go for more words of life. There's also a passage. Jesus quoted this passage. We, we won't go there, but we, we mentioned it. Yeah, let's go there. Deuteronomy 8. I'm sorry. I know that happens often. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And Jesus was quoting this during his testing with Satan. Let's read verse 3. This is God speaking through Moses to Israel. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And so that recognition, again, that for the life you and I are called to, physical sustenance and nourishment and, and a, a safe home to live in and clean clothing to wear and good food on the table, those are not enough for real life. Those are wonderful blessings from God. He blessed Israel with his physical provision, but he said, but don't get so stuck on the physical that you, that you don't look higher and recognize, Father... Thank you for the bread, but I want eternal life nourished by the things you speak to me now. And that again, we have the wisdom to go to the word of God for that. So part of this, again, for you and I, I would expect everyone in the room who's already a believer, we agree with the truth of that statement. And now the challenge, if somebody could just secretly walk with me through my whole week, Gary thought, if somebody could just, without me even knowing it, they're just right over my shoulder watching. They're watching everything I watch. They're looking at everything I read. They're looking at everything I put my attention to. And at the end of the week, could this person say, wow, Reg really loves the word of God. He likes science fiction too. But he really loves the Word of God. And that, that you and I would have that, not because we're worried about what someone else would think, but because we're wise, we're smart, spiritually smart. That we go, why would I starve myself when this is the essence of my life, is to keep growing with all the things that God pours into me, so that somebody could watch my day and watch my week, and not because... Everything else takes more time. And now I give the Bible a whole lot more time than everything else. But that they would watch a passion and a discipline and an attention to the word of God. That means this person, this son, this daughter of God really loves hearing what comes out of the mouth of God. There's another passage in, in Joshua 1.8. Oops, I'm really bad about writing things down. Uh, let's go to Joshua. Chapter 1. As Joshua is being commissioned to take over after Moses' death, he's being prepared for that role. And it's going to be, those are big shoes to fill. How would you like that call? Moses is passing on we decided that we like your resume and we'd like you to show up Monday morning. 
happened to Joshua. And here's verse 8 of Joshua chapter 1. In preparing him for this awesome, incredible role. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so that this gets to be part of wisdom for you and I. Is if I'm going to really observe the word of God. And I'm going to really do the word of God. I'm going to have to meditate on it day and night. So how many people have, have, who are parents in the room. How many people raised a child. And you said you know what. If I just kept my hands off and let that kid grow up out of their own will. They would have just naturally been godly men or women naturally doing the will of God. Not me. Not me as a kid and not me as a daddy. So that recognition, if I'm going to change the way I operate, I have to be immersed in pondering with God his heart, his mind, his priorities. What does he treasure? What does he love? What does he hate? I need to be immersed in pondering with him. What's wisdom for my day? What's protection for, for me from the, the threats of the enemy through my day? What are the priorities when I face a difficult decision? Father, those things don't come natural to me. I'm going to have to immerse myself in pondering your word so that I'm prepared for those moments of choice and decision. So that I'm prepared when I face the enemy. I'm prepared. And I like what he says here. Um, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. So this is, I think this is difficult for us frequently as believers. Particularly in our culture. So there would have been times in the past when it wouldn't have been so awkward or difficult. But I think now it feels really awkward as believers to quote scripture. You know, unless you're teaching a Sunday school class or preaching, it feels awkward to sort of quote scripture. Oh, you think you're better than us? Why are you quoting scripture at us? And to recognize among believers, in, in fact, I'll, I'll encourage you in this, among believers that we recognize that's me passing out bread. That's me passing out meat and milk. That's me reminding you, and that's you reminding me of truth. So he's, he's recognizing meditation doesn't just mean I keep a private thought going here. I share something out loud that blesses someone else, that reminds or challenges or encourages someone else. So it's in your mouth. You're meditating it. Now, I, I've, I've recommended this. I actually do recommend this. When you're alone, do it out loud do your meditating and your Bible reading out loud. And it helps to hear it back to yourself. You're actually processing it. This is brain, brain uh, I'm not a, a brain specialist, I promise you. But from reading others who are, when you say something out loud that you're already thinking, you're now processing it three ways instead of one. So that you're reinforcing your own mental awareness of the truth. So that, that recognition, you, you ponder it, you immerse yourself in it, you speak it, you share it, you get to hear it back. 
And then we get to do it. In, in James 1, 22, we won't go there, but in James 1, 22, he says, don't merely be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And he says, hearers who are not doers are fooling themselves. It's a self-delusion to say, well, I heard it, you know what, but I don't really like it. Or I heard it, but you know, gosh, I just haven't thought about it since then. So I kept doing this other thing different than the word because I haven't thought about it since I read it or heard it. And James describes those people as somebody who stands in front of a mirror, checks it out and goes, that, so that's what I look like. And after a good laugh, walk away. And then in a few minutes, forget what you look like. And he's saying, but a doer keeps pondering that image. A doer keeps looking into the word to see what's possible and what we're called to. It's a pursuit. It's not just a little slice of the week. It's a week-long pursuit. It's a day-long pursuit. Ultimately, a lifelong pursuit. But now, let's go back. How are we doing on time? Was that the mid midnight? Yeah, right. I preached till midnight. Uh, there might have been moments when it felt that way. But it's never happened yet. Go back to John 17. Because he says this. Sanctify them in the truth. Verse 17. Your word is truth. And he says in verse 19. For their sakes I sanctify myself. That they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. And we're going to go further into the word and the mindset and, the, and, the, and the, the whole realm of sanctification further next week. But it's clear that Jesus is using sanctification in two different ways here. Because one is, he's saying, I sanctify myself. And, Father, sanctify them. And as we look through scripture, we're going to see about four different ways that sanctification is being used. And some of those could even be sliced up into smaller categories. But the recognition that, that when we sanctify God, and scripture uses that. He says, when you sanctify name, my name, when you sanctify the living God, we're not trying to change him into something. We're acknowledging by our attitude, by our behavior, by our worship, by our obedience, by our submission. We're acknowledging by a multitude of choices that he is holy. But then he also says, now make things holy. So he told, he commanded Israel, make the Sabbath holy. How do we make the Sabbath holy? By honoring it. It's just a day to the rest of the world. But to the nation of Israel, they made it holy by honoring it. And now we get to recognize that we're, we're no longer bound by days and Sabbaths and new moons and festivals. We're not bound by those things, but we're still called to have a day of rest. We're still called to have a day of worship. And so we put it on Sunday like the New Testament church did. But that's not the day. That's not the secret is which day did you pick. It's the mindset of Father. Week after week after week for the rest of my life. 
I am going to make a day of rest and worship and focus and attention to you a normal part of my life. By attitude and behavior, I make the day set apart for your purposes. And that leads into the third category. And that's where he tells us to sanctify. He tells us things are sanctified because of how he and us in agreement set them apart. So there are times in the Old Testament when he said, sanctify me this group of men. Well, those men didn't suddenly become holier than their buddies, but they were set apart for God's purposes. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 7 that is really an amazing passage. Let's read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And he's talking to believers who are married to an unbeliever. In verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. And that word sanctified does not substitute in this use of the word. It doesn't substitute for salvation. God is saying that unbelieving husband or that unbelieving wife or those children raised with one unbelieving parent and one believing parent, they're all set aside for my work and my purposes. Just because you're a believer, your unbelieving spouse doesn't run this equation. You, as my son or daughter, you run this equation. And now I will be working in the, in the life of that husband or that wife and those children who are not believers to draw them to me, to speak to them. I will even be providing for them and protecting them and doing things in their life that reflect my presence just because they belong to you. That's awesome. And again, he's not saying their salvation has been chosen by you, but now you, by, by having chosen me, you've opened up the life of that unbelieving spouse. You've opened up the lives of those children for my involvement and my purposes in a supernatural way. That's awesome. We should love that promise for so many brothers and sisters that are in that kind of situation. But the final point, the fourth type of sanctification, let's go to 2 Peter. And this is the form of sanctification that Jesus is talking about here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that it is in the world by lust. Then he goes on to describe our growth 
into the character of Christ. And so that transformation into the character of God, into the character of Jesus Christ, that's the sanctification that Jesus is praying for us. Jesus has set himself aside in his earthly journey. He said, I kept myself holy so that now we can work in them the transformation into holiness. And I'm praying that for them. So again, in, in the theme that we've been talking about, that you and I would be able to look at our lives and recognize, Father, I am not yet finished. I do not yet look like the full character of Jesus Christ. I, I'm so glad that the passage that was read for us this morning uh, by, by the children was fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Here's another scary thought. That person who's, who's looking over my shoulder and looking over your shoulder all week, they've got that list. And they're going, I'm just checking. To what degree would they go, oh, you know what? On Tuesday, Reg was a little more loving than he was on Monday. By Friday, he was just a, a hair more patient than he was on Monday. I'm watching him grow in these qualities. And it might take a lot of Mondays and Fridays before that was visible. But that, that's predictable for you and I as believers. And it's what you and I get to be choosing and agreeing on with God. That we're praying for that transformation. So I would actually encourage you every now and then do the scary challenge of pondering with God that list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And asking, where in my day did those qualities not show up? In which relationship was I not so much? In which moment and which set of circumstances, in what context did I fall short of that calling of the character of Jesus Christ? Not so that we're condemned and not so that we give up and not so we decide we're losers and we're doomed and that's just not us. But so that we defy the enemy and go, then Father, let's you and I start boot camp where we get ready to win that battle next time. So I can't change what just happened. I have all the power and authority of Jesus Christ dwelling within me. I've been fully equipped to keep growing in my partaking in the divine nature. Father, let's get ready for that. Let's go after that. And that I should be choosing that on a daily basis. You should be choosing that on a daily basis. Not out of legalism, not out of a fear of condemnation, but out of a wonderful vision. I am called and equipped to grow into his character. It will matter for the rest of eternity that I grew in this character. We get to be praying for that. Let's pray now. Father, I do thank you that you love these things for us because you love us. Father, you're not sitting there stern and angry, ready to throw a lightning bolt at us because we're so imperfect. You're a father delighted for every step of growth and jealous that the enemy not get away with any lie, any distortion. Father, you're desiring for us all the blessings that flow from being in union with you. And you want this character, this transformation, this sanctifying process 
of helping us grow up to be like you. Father, you want that permeating our friendships. You want that permeating our brotherhood here with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Father, you want this permeating our marriages, our friendships, and our enemies. You want this permeating how we operate at work and how we operate with money. You want this permeating how we think, how we respond, how we react. More and more, Father, how we react before we even think about it because we're maturing in your character. More and more and more as the years go by. Father, help us to pray for this process, to love this process. Because we actually agree with Jesus' prayer on our behalf. Thank you very much, Father, in Jesus' name.